Good morning, friends. It is such a delight to be with you, uh, dear friends of St. John's. Our second scripture reading this morning comes to us from the late first century when it feels like everything is starting to come apart at the seams. The Roman Empire is starting to show cracks that will eventually result in its downfall. But before the empire falls apart, it will exert pressure of all kinds to keep things together, often at the expense of justice, resulting in the suffering of anyone who appears to be a threat. The early followers of the way of Jesus are in a position of needing a word of hope. So it is that First Peter offers both a word of promise and encouragement for a life in an extraordinary time. Listen for what the Spirit may be saying to you through this reading from First Peter, chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Something God alone can see. Will you join your heart with mine for a word of prayer? Holy and gracious love, pour out your spirit anew on us this day. So strengthen our sense of you that as you move in our midst, we may begin to see you revealed in each other. Revealed in the call you offer. Strengthened by the energy which has given us birth. O God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, that they might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Unrevealed until its season. Something God alone can see. In November of 1971, my grandfather, who had been a pastor in the Evangelical Reformed Church, predecessor to the United Church of Christ, passed away. And you may know how this kind of thing goes when a patriarch passes away. There's storytelling and there's the archaeological dig. You know, the going through the stuff that has been hiding, sometimes in plain sight and sometimes not so much. Sometimes the dig will take you down. And sometimes, you may know, it will take you up, as into the attic, where things long ago are stored, but rediscovered, like treasures of some ancient tomb. So it was that my grandmother had my uncles and my dad bring things down from the attic. And among those things were two violins, 
One had belonged to my grandmother's brother who died in France in World War I. The other had a different story. It belonged to my dad's grandfather, Charles Bruner, father of my dad's birth mother. My dad's birth mother died when he was six. A month later, her father, my dad's grandfather, passed away. That was in 1935, and somewhere along the line, the violin which had been his was put in the attic, long ago forgotten by just about everyone. But on this particular day in 1971, because of my grandfather's passing, it was about to have a resurrection of sorts. It was brought down into the light of day, and attached to it was a question. The question uttered by my step-grandmother was, Leona, was this, does anybody know anybody who plays the violin or wants to learn how to play? And my mother quickly responded. She said, David has just begun taking violin lessons two weeks ago. And then it happened. My grandmother took the instrument, this instrument, and she placed it in my hands and she said to me, it's yours. I wonder if you have ever had found yourself to be the recipient of something that you know will in some way change your life from that point forward. For that's the feeling that I had, even though I could barely play. You've probably heard that hit number before. Something in me told me that I had just been given the key to a universe that I could barely imagine. In that moment, I felt an energy of anticipation that I knew deep down had the potential to change me, though I could never have imagined what the change might be like or how it would shape my world and those around me. Now, you can imagine, I'm sure, that an instrument that had been stored in the attic for that length of time might need a bit of repair. And indeed, this one did. There were some seams that needed to be reglued. The instrument surely needed new strings. They had the old catgut strings on it. Truth be told, the instrument was too large for my nine-year-old arm to actually hold up. So it would be a year or two before I could actually play this gift with any regularity. It was something, you see, unrevealed until its season. Something that God alone could see. Still, there was an energy of anticipation until that day came. That day when my violin teacher said to me, David, it's time. It's time to bring out that gift and let it be shared. It's time to reignite the song that has been hidden for all those years. It is time for the voice of that instrument to again vibrate beauty into the life of the world. Oh, there were fits and starts. You've got to believe it. Many wrong notes. I often tell my siblings, I'm the fourth of six kids, that I owe them an eternal debt of gratitude for suffering through being siblings to a young violin player. If you've been around one, you know what that's like. But, you know, over time, something started to grow. Call it a dawning awareness. Call it a mystery that kept getting revealed. Call it a gift beyond my imagining. I began to hear a voice that was more than just the sound of the violin. 
It was strangely the voice of my grandmother Dorothy, my dad's birth mother who had died. It was sweet and soothing. It was pitched with passion. It was fire and breath and all things life. It was a gift long hidden that was coming to life again and again for the purpose for which it had been made. Now, you may know that a stringed instrument gets better with age. In fact, a stringed instrument that goes unplayed actually loses something of its capacity to bring forth beauty. It's why those expensive Stradivarius violins are often owned by a benefactor but lent out to artists. Their value is in the playing of them because that, you see, is why they were made. How sad if that song couldn't come forth. So, we have two texts this morning which reveal something of God's mysterious, life-shifting, blossoming action in the midst of what might seem like impossible circumstances. In our reading from Genesis, Jacob has left Beersheba and is headed to Haran to search for a wife from the ancestral territory. But if you know this story... You know that this is only part of the story. The other part is that Jacob, with the help of his mother, has stolen the birthright blessing of his older brother Esau, who you might guess is more than just a little bit angry about this. So Jacob is on the run, on the run for his life. It's all about him until it isn't. You may have noticed, as I have, that you can run consumed with yourself until you can't. Until you run out of your own energy or plans. Until you drink from your own well so much that it becomes dry. Or for whatever reason it is that you think you're alive. So the sun sets, not just on the day, but on Jacob's life, you see. And he finds one of those kinds of stones for a pillar that feels comfy because the truth is you can be so tired with life, you probably know this, that a stone seems to be about the best that you can do for a pillow. Maybe you know what this is about. I know I do. And he falls asleep. And here it is in the middle of the night while he's on the run when life seems not all that certain when he has run out of his own plans and his own energy, that his life is rearranged for a discovery of the reason for which he was given birth in the first place. He has a dream, a revelation. You probably know this song. You know that one? We are climbing Jacob's Ladder. We call it Jacob's Ladder. But the truth is, of course, is it's God's Ladder. And God's angels are the ones who are going up and down. And then the very essence of God speaks of Jacob's legacy. God says, I am the God of Abraham and of your father Isaac. And Jacob is blessed with the promise of offspring more numerous than the dust on the earth and the promise of the land on which he sleeps. 
And Jacob wakes up from his sleep, which is more than just the slumber of the evening. He is awakened to a discovery that the God who gave him birth is in the place where he has laid his head. Not only that, but this Holy One has placed a promise and a claim on his life such that he can no longer think of life as belonging simply to himself. He is an an instrument of God's unfolding promise of love. Jacob makes a vow that the energy of his life will be directed towards God's desire to reshape the experience of the human family. Something interesting happens. You may have noticed the stone of fear and fatigue becomes the altar of promise and praise. Yes. Do you know that God has the power to work this same work in your life and in the life of this faith community called St. John's United Church of Christ? Do you know, did you notice that Jacob discovered that all along God was holding his life? God is holding your life. Unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see true back then and true now for you. Jacob discovers, you see, that his life is actually an instrument through which the song of grace may find its way into the life of the world. I wonder if you have ever thought of your life this way. I wonder if you have thought of your life together in this way. This beacon of hope, this light of God's love in the heart of the city. Is it not a symphony of promise whose very purpose is to unleash an energy of love and grace into the life of the world? Did you notice what happened at the very end of our reading? Jacob makes a promise to God that arises out of a reframed understanding of who he, who he is and all that he has. That promise is that he will give back to God one-tenth of all that God has given to him. This is where the idea of the tithe comes from, if you're familiar with that language. But it's more than just a mathematical equation. It is really about a reorientation regarding how Jacob thinks about everything in his life and his very life itself. Did you notice... That Jacob makes a promise predicated on God's faithfulness and on the truth that everything he has and is, is a gift from God. I wonder if you've ever thought about this. Everything that you and I have and are is a gift from God. Now, you might be saying to yourself, yeah, Dave, but I work very hard for everything I've got. And that's probably very true. But there's an even deeper truth which Jacob recognizes, and maybe you have too along the way. That truth is that even the capacity to work is a gift. I could, for example, say, you know, I play the violin the way I do because I've practiced a lot in nearly 50 years of playing. But the capacity to practice is itself, of course, a gift. This capacity, this energy, this desire has come through me, but not from me. Jacob seems to recognize that the resources of his life are, in fact, from the very beginning, gifts of energy and capacity that have been given to him. 
And his response to the experience of God's eternal love is to answer in thanksgiving by releasing that energy back into the larger fear of God's creative work in the world. I wonder if you have ever thought about the gift of your money in this way. First, that it is a gift from God. And then that this money is a form of energy and capacity. And it can, of course, be directed in many different ways. What Jacob discovers and what the letter of 1 Peter to the early church reminds us is that we are actually stewards of all that we have. Because, you know, there will come a day when the life we know and the form we are living it now will pass away and our stuff will not come with us. You know, when my grandmother gave me this violin so many years ago and said, here you go, it's yours. That wasn't really true at all. This violin doesn't really belong to me. It belongs to our family story. I am the steward of this instrument, which is about more than just keeping the instrument safe. It is about being sure that something of the songs that are hidden inside have a chance to be heard in the life of the world. So too, my friends, with your life and mine and in your life together and in our shared life of the human family and the whole creation Our lives are a gift that are created for the act of giving in love in so many forms. The letter of 1 Peter put it this way. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. You see what that song is getting at, don't you? What is being left up? Our lives, yours and mine, are gifted for giving in ways which bring glory and praise to God. But God does something else too inside our lives when we begin to live into this gifted identity. God gives us a deepened experience of each other. Just one more violin story. My wife and I were both music majors at Heidelberg College, now university. She in piano performance, me in violin performance, both of us in psychology. What this meant is that she couldn't get rid of me. I don't think stalking is the right word, but I did have a keen interest in her. That's a whole nother sermon, though. I hope I'll be invited back. Truth is, we never actually played before uh, together when we were in college. We didn't play together until we got into seminary. Early on in our time there, a classmate of ours who had played piano professionally said, you know, I'm really missing playing music. Anyone who wants to play, let's gather in the chapel after class. It ended up being Rick and Beth and me. Now, Rick, now Beth is also a flautist, so we formed a flute violin piano trio. 
We performed concerts at the seminary, and one summer we did a 3,000-mile tour through the Midwest in the college president's Dodge Dart. It was 1986. As we were thinking about the name of our trio, we happened to be reading a book called Mutual Ministry by James Fenhagen. In that book, Fenhagen introduced a new word to us. It was called free sense. It's free sense describes those times when we're sufficiently in touch with ourselves to be fully present to another. We experienced that between ourselves as we played, passing the theme of the songs back and forth around the parts as our parts invited us, sharing the energy and capacity of our playing to form something much larger than just the sum of the parts. And not only with we who were playing, but also the audience, they entered into this experience with us. We did not create this gift. We discovered it was ours to cultivate and release so that something of beauty and delight and love could grow in the life of the world. So too with you, my friends. On this holy and sacred consecration Sunday, you have a chance to increase the capacity for beauty and delight and love to flower through you into the life of of the world because of how God is fashioning free sense in your life together. Your life is a gift and your life together is a gift. May it be good news, not only for you, but for the life of the world. I give thanks to God for you. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen.